Oh, oh, one more thing. Just One More Thing, a podcast all about Columbo. I'm John Morris. And I'm R.J. White. This time we're talking about The Most Dangerous Match. Originally broadcast March 4th, 1973, written by Jackson Gillis, directed by Edward M. Abrams, starring Lawrence Harvey, Lloyd Bochner, Jack Crucian, Heidi Brule, and of course Peter Falk as Columbo. And every episode of the podcast, we're joined by a special guest to help us navigate the nuances of Columbo. This time around, we've invited on game designer and independent publisher Nathan Paletta. But before we bring Nathan on, RJ, tell us, and me specifically because I'm the one who's asking so nicely, what goes on in this episode? Lawrence Harvey is Emmett Clayton, a chess champion who starts to sweat when the previous champ comes out of retirement to challenge him to a match. Backed into a corner... Clayton tries to murder his opponent using the old Papa Sonovisky gambit. But the old man <laughs> counters with a Romanova delay, only getting hurt very, very badly before dying. On the case is Lieutenant Columbo, employing the Blonsky Kravinov battery, a Zhivago anti-positional, three Drago blinds, and a garlic scented club variant to trap the killer. Will he succeed? Or will Clayton Pearl pull out a Kuryakin Fortress move to stymie the Grand Master Detection? It's your move, John! Starring Jason Bateman. <laughs> hey! Welcome to the show, oh, Nathan! Shit. That's my favorite uh, one, Hello! Hello! Welcome to the program. Uh, now, I have to ask you, we always do uh, people who are first-time guests in the program, uh, what is your history with Columbo? How did you first come to Columbo? That sort of thing. Uh, so, I first watched Columbo with my mother. Uh, it's always would, parents. It's always parents, it's, which is great. Yeah, yeah. The nostalgia factor is strong. Um, <laughs> yeah. If it was on just like on, you know, whatever channel she would be like, Oh, Columbo. And <laughs> then we'd be done, you know, switching around. Um, so I just always really liked it because, you know, it was something I watched with my mom and uh, the rest of the family. And um, once we got into the, dvd era uh she started gifting me with some of the dvd sets nice uh, so that's actually why i happen to be able to watch this episode on dvd mm. um which uh was nice uh, a, a nice reason for me to go and find it because <laughs> uh i've been so used to just pulling them up on netflix but that is now sadly sadly lost to us yeah, right that's and, the and, golden age and to let folks know i we still haven't seen it show up anywhere it's been showing up on some um channels on like a basic or expanded cable like a me tv uh cozy uh the hallmark mystery and movie channel that sort of thing so it's kind of something where like if your cable provider has it they're running them once in a while but pretty regularly but yeah it's not available on demand so much as we've been able to discern just dvd and that um so but as a game designer you've actually as i understand uh set up and created a game sort of based on Columbo, right? Yeah. The structure so, of it. So what is that? Uh, so this game comes from a, as you might imagine, an obsessive rewatching of the, of the show over the last, you know, I don't know, six, seven, eight years. Uh, whenever my, the second part to my story is it's always been like a comfort show, right? Like I'm always something that I can go and watch whenever I want, whenever I need to watch something that I know I'll like. Uh, that kind of thing. So in doing that over and over, obviously there's a structure and a set of, you know, 
ways that the show works uh, that I start to notice because that's one of the things that, that's how my brain works. I notice patterns and structures. Um, so, yeah, I started tinkering around with this idea uh, that started from the premise of how would one play Columbo as a game? Because it's so um, it depends so much on kind of the reveal. Right. Or or kind of the the. Uh, push and pull of like clever dialogue and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And that can be hard to get in a tabletop game, uh, you know, just cause people sometimes have trouble coming up with that stuff on the fly. But this game it's called one more thing. Cause I didn't want to rip nice. too bad on your podcast title, but um, <laughs> yeah, it's fine. No one else, you know, is, we so need a reference. Yeah. Uh, it's a two player mm-hmm. game. And uh, the insight that led to it was that, whoever's playing Columbo is actually more of a game master than a character, right? Columbo is actually the one who has more of the, the holistic knowledge of what's happening. And the murderer is actually the one who's reacting to things and trying to change things. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So in this game, uh, it's one person plays a detective who's based on Columbo. One person plays the murderer who is kind of generated, procedurally through a little set of charts um and then it's a set street it's a set uh of scenes where you kind of pick what kind of scene you're going to do and what you're trying to do is is reveal clues you both generate potential clues and then you reveal them over the course of the game the the detective gets to choose which ones are the important ones and that's how they like build their case Mm -hmm. um and then the murderer is trying to either obfuscate what's going on by you know making up dead ends or uh uh generating the uh here's the alternate version of what happened to explain all these clues you have oh nice because that always comes up in the show too We're like oh here's what i think might have happened which always exactly. points to them being the one who actually did mm-hmm. yeah yeah right because everything they do digs them in deeper and so right. the the goal of the game isn't to get away with it obviously we we all both of the players or anyone playing knows you know that the murder is going down at the end but it's more about how does that story unfold what clues does the detective pick to decide you know to make their case and then also the uh murderer has this thing called the perception matrix which is a little chart this is the most gamey part um it's a little <laughs> chart that's in the middle between the two of you and uh depending on how many clues have been committed or decided upon as the important ones. Mm-hmm. And the, the murderer has one stat called sympathy. So depending on how sympathetic they are and how many clues matter, they might be very like sloppy or they might be very um, uh, smart about the murder, you know, and, and they can be coming across to the audience as desperate or as like callous and cold hearted. Right. So you're trying to move your murderer around on that chart to tell the, the 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 viewing audience of your Columbo show how they should feel about your murderer. Okay, so that's interesting because so there's only two people playing it, but the idea of <laughs> like an audience watching it and how they would behave is actually a factor in the game, even though it's between these two people, right? Yeah, it's oh, uh, framed. Wow. In, <clears throat> yeah, it's framed in that way <clears throat> because I think, and this is a, a technique that that I use in. Uh, one of my, my bigger games, which is a game about professional wrestling, where the idea of having a viewing audience for the action of the game gives you the context to make the decisions, right? Like, what is the audience going to see oh, in this scene? Okay. How is the audience going to feel about my, you know, my murderer trying to cover up by killing another person? Um, you know, those those kinds of decisions. So, 
Yeah, it's uh, it's quick to play. Um, it plays really well, right, if uh, people know the show. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the main question right now is whether people who don't know the show get the same kind of feeling out of it. Because it's still in a in like kind of a, a late playtest stage. Okay, I was going to ask, has it been released anywhere? Or are you still kind of figuring out and developing it? Or uh, Yeah, it's it's a free download right now on my website, uh, ndpdesign.com. There's a playtest okay. page, and it's on there. Oh. Uh, it's just a PDF that you download. Um, I have a vision of uh, maybe having it be like a, like a small box set at some point, like a small card game or board game. Mm-hmm. But it's still kind of being the playtested, and I'm kind of thinking about how to present it uh, to people who don't know the show right off the bat is, is mm. the next hurdle. And, and what do, uh, if they uh, get that, um, the test version, the PDF, what do they need in their home to actually play it and actually try it out? Uh, you just need some note cards and pencils and oh. uh, a normal six-sided die um, oh, okay. for rolling on some, uh, there's a couple charts that you roll on for determining what the crime is, right? And why, you know, what the what the relationship between the murderer and the victim, those kinds of things. Uh, but then gameplay itself is just writing down clues, revealing them, and moving a token around on that little board that you print out. Okay, cool. Well, yeah, uh, folks, if you want to play Columbo, or, or if you want to play, uh, uh, you know, uh, Jack Cassidy in the comfort of your own home, <laughs> you can, you can do that. You can play any variety of fictional TV detectives. Yeah, but it's more fun to play this one and play one of the weird, creepy, recurring fellows. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or you could play, in this uh, edition's episode, uh, Lawrence Harvey. And so I guess it's a little obvious uh, from the gaming aspect why you picked this one, but did you have any <laughs> other sort of reasons why you chose uh, to discuss this one for this uh, for this edition? Well, um, I, I'm pretty, it's one of my favorite episodes to just get that out there. So that would be one reason. Um, so in the array of possibilities, it jumped out to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, the second season specifically is one that like all of the episodes are kind of seared into my brain and I like them all very much. So um, I think this one also, uh, one reason that I think it's so sticky to me um, is because it kind of plays with some of the standard Columbo uh things right like it's not the standard formula it's a little changed up right. so it's a little more interesting um to talk about those things for the show i think well yeah it, right. it's an episode that has a <laughs> lot of odd things in it and like one of the uh ones almost right from the start is the weird sort of bizarre fantasy uh visuals in it mm-hmm. um like when uh yeah when Lawrence Harvey starts to get freaked out by having to go up against this grandmaster that he thought was out of the way and he's not sure he can measure up he starts having these crazy dreams and you don't that's something you don't really see in other episodes of columbo and it's kind of it, it, I can it's only very think very of, i can only think of one that has a hallucination or a dream sequence and that's not till murder smoke and shadows oh right which is yes all yeah, yeah, yeah. the way in the 90s yeah right yeah, oh yeah. yeah the the uh with the tapes the like psychologist Tape. Oh no! This is the one with uh, the the young film producer whose yes. original film. Yeah. Oh right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. my, my his name's blocking it uh, from uh, short Fisher shortcuts. Fisher Stevens. Yes. Fisher Stevens. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. one. Yeah. Um, yeah. But this well, one. So that's a of... that's a long gap between that gimmick yeah. being used. But you and these. Think... Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, and these are more uh, rudimentary effects in this episode than in mm-hmm. uh, 
than in that one. It's pretty. It's it's very stagey, right? Like very staged. Oh yeah, extremely. It, it looks like uh, um, the weird sequences in like a Casino Royale, pretty much like the sixties mm, version. It seems like yeah. that sort of thing a little bit. But you would think with these seventies ones, they would have maybe done stuff like this a little bit more often. The way they got a little bit uh, experimental, filmish. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, this is the only one that it seems like they did that. And it, it's it's odd. It throws you out of it quite a bit, I think. They also they also did a lot of blur cuts. Yeah. From mm. scene to scene, which I don't think is terribly. I, I've seen it once or twice in Columbo, but it was every time in this one. I think, and that it, was strange. I'm trying to think. Abrams did other ones, didn't he? Or no? I'm I'm going. I'm scrolling. Yeah, no, he did. Um, yeah, he did Ransom for a Dead Man, Deathlands a Hand, which was mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. one that's great. A Lady in Waiting. And they, oh, he did, he did uh, Rest in Peace, Mrs. Columbo, too. Oh, this is a really weird collection. Yeah, it's a, it's a very <laughs> strange one, yes. Yeah. yeah. So, I don't know. He well, did a lot think, of odd ones spanning, yeah. I mean, for whatever reason, whether it was just like, let's try this, it does make the beginning of it really, you know, stand out from other Columbo episodes. And I think, for me, kind of, uh, I a lot of the time I look at a, an episode of the show as like, what's the story of the murderer, right? Because that's kind of Mm -hmm. the interesting thing. Like, that's kind of what we're learning um, a little bit. And so it really, to me, sets up that this guy is uh, totally neurotic and (laughs) obsessed and, you know, has some uh, trouble dealing with this stress that he's under, right? And an easily sweaty jerk who's hard of hearing, pretty much. Very sweaty. That's who this guy is. An easily sweating jerk uh, who... Where's his hair in a peculiar way? He looks like he wandered off the Death Star. Like, it's oh, a real really shame does. that he wasn't oh. in there at some point, you know? He mm. Actually, yeah. You're right. And he has the accent, you too. You say that? Right? <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. I didn't even... <laughs> those things where as soon as you say it, you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, it's also... I it was great that. casting, too, because, you know, he, he was a series of, like, right angles, and he looked a little like a chainsaw sculpture or whatever. Yes, no. And then yes, his... I love his, Lawrence Harvey, but yeah, it was... Yeah, it's odd. And then his his opponent looks like King Vitamin. He's just, like, this kind of roly-poly, <laughs> pleasant Russian no, dude. No, yeah, just very vuncular, and uh, I, mm-hmm. I love that actor. As soon as I saw him, like, whatever... And he was the um, very nice uh, next-door neighbor doctor from the apartment. Oh! Okay. The kindly, the kindly uh, next-door neighbor who was worried about uh, Baxter... Oh, he's right. like uh, doing too much uh, womaning and drinking, and that's but it's not <laughs> him. But it, it's <coughs> yeah, it's that same guy, and he had a huge long career playing those kind of character parts. And I mm-hmm. think that guy is really good in this, even though he's doing like a really uh, laid on thick, fake Russian accent. Yeah, which, uh, can we talk about the accents a little bit? Yeah, like the one aide who just doesn't have one. Right. Well, I'm very curious about yeah, that. Yeah, the one backstory. handler, the one handler who has no accent whatsoever because <laughs> the chief handler, uh, Borowski, uh, I think uh, Lloyd Bochner, his guy yeah. he's an American guy who always played just American dudes, and that sounds like a very fake Russian accent. It's a very uh, almost like a like a, a Boris and Natasha kind yes. of accent. Right? Like <laughs> very, very, very much so. But then there's that one guy with the glasses, and the first time you hear him talk, you're going to expect the same thing. And like, I, no, he's just talking like he's uh, from Northern California or something. I think Maybe it's, he uh, was a was... local handler. Like, they yeah. picked him up Could town. Be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he was a doctor I... for this guy. I imagine it was probably Bernie Sanders taking a break from his honeymoon. He was over there, <laughs> and they asked him, since you know, the, you know America, can you come back with us? Mm. Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Do we not... 
we're, we're not familiar with the honeymoon story. That's fine. No, I That's know. No, I know. No, I said sure, <laughs> sure, because I am familiar with the honeymoon story. So, see, it's my, why my problem is why he's the Antichrist. So, yes, that's uh, <laughs> yeah. My problem for this whole show, I think, is going to be that other than very specific, uh, obsessive shows like Columbo and The Rockford Files, which is my other love, um, mm-hmm. I I don't have a very wide knowledge of TV and film, so lots of references are going to go straight. Oh, over that my that's head. fine because we're all... idiots who will just laugh at our own <laughs> yeah. stupid. So if you dumb can laugh jokes. at your own jokes, uh, yeah. if I'm not laughing, sure. just assume it's because I don't understand, not because it's I don't think it's funny. No, we, but we've that made would be a career. So. We've made a career out of laughing at our own jokes. We're fine. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm not getting paid for this. Well, let me Lord. let me go ahead and throw one TV reference in there, and it's a very mm. it's a short thing, but we get a pan. Uh, you know, I'm always looking at the signs on the streets, mm-hmm. uh, and there's a, there's an antique store called Lovejoys. Oh, there is. I didn't yeah, know and I oh, I weird. damn near lost it. I'm just like, there's oh, a Lovejoy Columbo crossover. Well, another sign thing that's interesting is. Um, because uh, the big thing in this episode is this French restaurant supposedly near the hotel uh, where the two chess players end up playing a whole match with condiments, which I love the idea mm-hmm. of that. I think that's a great that whole dramatic script really is great. fun. Yeah, that's it's fantastic. Very fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but then Columbo takes uh, uh, Lawrence Harvey back there later, and they park next to the building. And like, oh, yeah, this is the, you assume it's a parking lot for the French restaurant, but there's a big sign on the blank wall next to it uh, that says, Kosherama parking only. <laughs> so you got to wonder, wait, is Kosherama down the street? Or did they just like, uh, just read no, they... out this for the TV for this one shoot and that's it? They went to, they went to Les Kosherama. Oh, sure. Right. The yeah. famous French restaurant. The famous Which, by the way, that's French, French Jewish restaurant. Right. It's the not least a lot of, French restaurant. Not a lot of shellfish. Yeah. <laughs> the least there's a ton of shellfish. They uh, the least French looking restaurant I've ever seen. It's clearly an Italian joint. Oh God, yeah. yes. That's <laughs> I. Yeah. I thought the gag was going to be like he's from Russia. He's never had American pizza. He's excited, but no. All of a sudden, it turns out it's a French restaurant. I don't. I'm not buying it. But yeah, okay. Yeah. Whatever. No. Like, uh, yeah. I mean, it's only a French restaurant so that he can eat snails, right? Like right. that's the yes. only. Reason it's French as opposed to anything else that would be garlicky, I guess. Right, because yeah, otherwise know, it would have just been pepperoni. Is is right? Yeah, because you know, if it had been a uh, Italian restaurant, there wouldn't have been a lot of garlic-based dishes mm-hmm. there at all. So yeah, no, no. no garlic in Italian restaurants. Let me tell no. you, yeah, not using Italian cooking at all. That actually reminds me. I took a, a screen cap of the game so mm-hmm. I could see what they were using for the pieces. Uh, so there's this also gives you an idea what the the menu is like at this restaurant. So there's a bottle of hot sauce. <laughs> very, that, black, which is key, which is very key in French cuisine, right? Mm-hmm. Black yeah. and green, black and green olives, the escargot shells, uh, salt and pepper grinders, and salt and pepper shakers, <laughs> right? And uh, a piece, a single piece of cheddar cheese cut in a square with a toothpick in it. Okay, so well, it's yeah. On the one hand, but did the, that did the a, tooth? Pick have a tiny French flag in it because then <laughs> no, just a tiny, tiny green toothpick. So oh, and uh, to identify, apparently I, this might just be how the shot is laid out, but it looks like to identify one of the pieces, there's an olive on it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I mean, so my explanation for this, obviously, so think about it this way, right? Uh, the the 
the uh, the proprietor is very annoyed with them by the end of the night. Yes. Right. Why, would he, why would he be so annoyed with them? They're just sitting there in a booth unless they've been calling him over and asking him for things. <laughs> more, and more, more and more objects and condiments. Right. It's like, we need something else that isn't any of these things. He's like, oh, I have a hot sauce underneath the cash register from <laughs> when this was a Mexican pizza place, you know? Yes. Like, <laughs> For when you roll up all this French bullshit and go back to being like Antonio's pizzeria. <laughs> yeah. That's why he's annoyed. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> there's still other people in the restaurant, I think, when he's like asking them to, if they're When done. he first asks them to leave. Yeah. But the other thing is when there were people in the restaurant, the, it was not full. So no, let the dudes not... play their chess, you know? Yeah. yeah it was not a super busy place. And also it's in this odd, like I thought that whole sequence uh, was odd when he's like uh, tracking him through a bunch of alleyways near that very suburban looking hotel. Right. Yeah. I mean, I well, guess in Los Angeles, the layout it could be that way, but it just seemed a little strange that well, it, it is. Would be it is in blocks away. It's a it's a ho- it's an airport hotel, mm-hmm. which we know because there's a TWA and I think an American Airlines like oh! station in oh, the lobby. Mm-hmm. All right. So they're they're probably near the airport, and that is still a disaster area now. So <laughs> I say I say that in a really mean way, even though our mutual friend Neil von Flu lives in the shadow of the airport. But you know, any airport like right around it is always kind of a gummy area. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. I think we've got a swamp down near ours. You think it's right through the swamp? Yeah, we just have nothing but uh, highways. I live in Chicago, so oh god, yeah, area around there, it's, air, yeah, it's, it's tragic. Out there. Yes, yeah, yeah. Couldn't walk yeah, isn't from it, one hotel to the next, even if they're actually you know drivable next to each other, just because of how everything's laid out. I assumed O'Hare would just be surrounded by uh, dead mob guys and sports peppers that people threw off their hot dogs because it's too much. It's under well, the it's under the ground. It's under the like the, the yeah that's uh, why the hotel's on. Yes, that's the foundation. Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah, because it's been it's gentrified over time. And, and lots like, of and lots mm. of sheds of salt, road salt. <laughs> Undoubtedly. Lots of those. Where but it's like LaGuardia, which was built on a landfill, so they, they'll send you to, like, the used condom gate for your flight. And good night, everybody. I... <laughs> Ta-da! John said something inappropriate. Let's close the... No, I'm saying it was, it was a good, like, a gag. It was a good... Good gag. outro. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so the, actually the hotel is kind of weird, too, because it looks really crummy, but it is hosting, like, the creme de la creme of the chess world. Well, not just that, sh- but also in the basement, it, it houses... The latest in green technology, which is just <laughs> grinding up trash, apparently. A, a trash compactor that happens to have a safety switch. That's right. But 1973, technology. that's what passed for uh, green technology. Just grinding the shit out of gar- mm-hmm. every single piece of garbage that comes to the hotel. So that's If fine. you can't recognize it, it's clean. Right. Exactly, yeah. You make it small enough, and then ship it out to the landfill, then... And then, then build an fine. airport on it. You see, it's, it all comes. See, it all comes yes, together. they build an exactly. airport. Right, perfect. Yes. So I thought that was an interesting uh, plot point that they kept they kept emphasizing that so much. Right. I well, like, oh, I guess it's greatest. to. It's, it, I guess it's to communicate to us, right, that this is a special trash compactor. It's not just any. Oh right. Any yeah. trash compactor. Yeah. Because that's uh, important to the, to the to the revelation of why he didn't die when he got thrown into it. Well, I, I, I guess should we discuss the uh, the actual murder itself now, and how the whole I guess. the whole stri- Okay, <laughs> it is a, it is to. a podcast about a murder show, John. Maybe we should address it somewhat. 
Um, you know, we've done we've done almost fifty of these. Let's 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 mix it up. Let's talk about what ha- let's talk about another episode, another show. Let's go. Okay, Barnaby, I'm ready. Barnaby to talk Jones about was on that Files. night. Let's talk the about Rockford Barnaby Files. Jones. Yeah, sure. I'm ready. Yeah, go on, we'll switch over. Actually, actually, great. fun fun uh, connection fact: the the guy uh, who plays the sergeant, Sergeant uh, Douglas or whatever his name is, mm-hmm. um, has a a tiny but pivotal role in an episode. Of the Rockford Files, where oh. he's a he's a scheming um, con man uh, who's uh, uh, responsible for getting Jim Rockford's buddy uh, Sergeant Becker involved oh, no. in a hotel scam. Oh, that's not because I like I, Becker. That's not good. Yeah, it's. Uh, oh, I like that. Yeah, so minor, minor plug. Uh, my my other project is a podcast about the rockford files and Wait, we what? Recently discussed whoa, 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 whoa. hold on hold on hold on tell people where that is because that's a great idea uh it is called 200 a day and <laughs> oh, that's a good title oh my <laughs> that's god good. that's a wonderful title uh i mean we're just doing doing what we can to earn our 200 a day do talking about oh, the rockford sure files. of course getting those uh getting those uh leads on the answering machine yeah mm-hmm. nice um and you can find that at 200 a day dot fireside dot fm or on itunes oh uh, great if you want to check that out but yeah, yeah they're, I recognize him because we just did that episode for our show. And I was like, I vaguely recognize that guy. I bet there's <laughs> at least one actor in this show. That, that that's Because they're contemporaneous, like 72, 73. Yeah, that, that, that's key for doing a, uh, a, a podcast about like a 40-year-old murder shows. It's just like, <laughs> hey, that guy looks familiar. Because then mm-hmm. you just look and see that they were uh, nine times out of ten. On like six of these things within two or three right. years on NBC, also and NBC. like Kojak and uh, yeah, uh, yeah, just all kinds of fun crossovers. Anyway, he doesn't have a whole lot to do in this episode, though. He just gets to be grumpy and and do what uh, Columbo tells him to do. Right, and the same thing with uh, John Finnegan towards the end. God bless John Finnegan. Bless, bless John Finnegan. A uh, uh, Columbo mainstay. He's at the mm-hmm. end as one of the uh, guys who maintains this latest in green technology. <laughs> uh, garbage crusher that doesn't kill the uh, chess master nearly as much as Lawrence Harvey would have liked. Let's mm. roll back. Let's roll back before we get to that because I do want to talk. You're right that we should talk about the murder itself, but I really want to go far back <clears throat> to how it starts because this, I think, is the the weakest plot like murder plot that I've ever seen on Columbo because it hinges entirely on housekeeping. Yeah. Uh, it, oh, it, okay. Yeah. If yeah. those doors were locked, then this whole murder plot right. would never have happened. Right. We're done. Right. Yes. Yeah. So he, he just happens to be waiting in the hall and makes the, you know, he has to make the call from downstairs, run upstairs, hide in the hallway, then dash out while, while his victim is walking down to the elevators and then run into the room and pack his stuff. But yeah, house housekeeping not only has to be there, she has to be not near the door so he can put the tape on it and also not notice that the door doesn't really close when she closes it. Yeah. There's no (laughs) click. And there's like, how many times have you been in a hotel where you close the door and you don't do that check? Right. Ka-tunk-tunk. tunk. You would do that. Right. So uh, we're going to pretend that doesn't happen and everything else works. Well, I mean, it would be exactly the same if he just picked a lock, right? Like, right. If he just yeah. happens to, he's very smart and has a photographic memory. He could also, he's he's put all of his points into all of the infiltration skills, right? Like he also probably can <laughs> pick locks and 
uh, he spent a lot on charisma. You know. Yeah. yeah. Um, so <laughs> the charitable reason is he's just lucky and doesn't have to break in some other way. But well, yeah, but it, it is he's, just he's lucky twice though because it happens yeah. again later on mm-hmm. to get back in to mm-hmm. get the met to met. But actually, that's a whole other thing—the medicine thing. Yeah, I don't know if we want to get into that now or wait till later. But the whole medicine thing, uh, where we ignore that hospitals have medicines, so you don't need to go back. Note here. You don't have to go back <laughs> to the guy's hotel room to get his medicine because the hospital well, is probably going to have medicine for people who are diabetic because they've encountered diabetic people before. They've got lots of medicine around, so you don't need to bring in she... your medicine. But does when he have special it. Russian medicine? Oh, right. right. So it's going to have uh, weird Cyrillic text and backwards <laughs> R's. On no, it. it's so totally that's, different. That's yeah, really totally. what I thought it was going to be. I thought it was either going to be that it was like Russian stuff or it was like they didn't know what the the quantities were. But then when he writes it all down, you can see it's digitalis, so many milligrams. Right. It's mm-hmm. usual stuff. And his doctor is American, so it's... Right? Yeah. So he'd know what, uh, the, what Americans have for medicine and in a hospital that has tons of medicine. You imagine the walls are like, made of medicine. <laughs> my my head hurts. Can I have aspirin? And they go like, Ooh, Wait, what? Ooh. Wait, what, what? Aspir- Did you leave me at your hotel? Aspirin, aspirin, aspirin. We're going to send somebody back to your hotel to get you some aspirin from that fully stocked duty free down in the lobby that we got to see at the opening of the episode. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't notice that. There is. Oh, neat. I always pay attention to duty freeze. Yep. Oh, cool. <laughs> they seem like such a seventies thing. I know they still exist because we do have one at Seattle Airport. Yeah. But uh, it does. It really seems like kind of a uh, a thing that people used to only really be into in the seventies. Yeah. You know. And Vic Chestnut songs. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, anyway, <laughs> that's an excellent song by Vic Chestnut. Everybody, look it up. It's. It's a sad, weird song. Yeah, I don't know why. It just popped into my head. Yeah, so that's a weird thing. But yeah, so no, it's, whole, it's... Yeah, his whole plot is very... It's not really a plot, right? It, it's very... This was kind of uh, interesting to me, is that he... It's essentially a, a crime of passion, right? He just mm-hmm. is distraught at losing this chess game um, against this guy. Uh, and then he goes to sleep and has a nightmare about it and wakes up, and that's when he <laughs> decides to murder him i guess right right yeah uh so it's not like he's really thought it out but he is a genius so as he moves through each step he kind of like makes whatever step happen you mm-hmm. know to to start putting together some kind of cover story for yeah, what and, he's about and, yeah. and the thing that's interesting too is like there's this interesting it's one of those uh rare episodes where uh columbo is brought in before the murder actually happens because mm-hmm. it's a weird fake out because he has that nightmare and there's mm. that weird thing of the glass, animated glass breaking. And you got to Columbo with a doctor, and you think, like, oh, God, this is where it is. And there's a, no, just dog is sick. Right. And I think it's the same vet from Etude in Black, which started off yeah. season two. Mm. And so you get that whole thing. He's like, ah, oh, I got to go to this thing. This guy did this, blah, blah, blah. And you don't know. And so it's this weird fake out when there hasn't well, it, been a murder yet, you're seeing yeah. Columbo before that, which I thought was kind of mm-hmm. interesting and weird. Neat. I guess they, they kind of, he kind of says uh, before that, when he's complaining to his vet about how he got called in because the guy disappeared and then reappeared. Right. So you kind of get the sense that maybe because this is such a high profile thing, 
they're like all hands on deck for it. Like it could right. be an international incident or something, right? right? Which, if the guy disappears. Which that's another thing I thought was interesting about this because so many things, especially the seventies and eighties, where you have some sort of um, uh, story involving uh, some sort of Russian genius. He's in America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's always usually some sort of thing where it involves like. Oh, he's trying to fact, or we get like somebody from the State Department coming in and yeah. doing a crazy thing. That didn't happen in this, which yeah, I thought, which I liked, which I liked that they didn't go there with that. I, I like that, that too, good. but there should have been government officials from both governments hanging out. This was the height of the Cold War, mm-hmm. and it, and you know this is this is loosely based on the Bobby Fischer match from '73 from the year before. Which did have a huge government presence from both nations. So it's really weird that it's just reporters just walking up to these dudes left and right, and there was no level of concern about that. Yeah, there yeah, was like the one like wandering around the hotel without mm-hmm. any accompaniment. Mm-hmm. So there's yeah, there are a couple of questions that I had related to that, and I'm guessing because again this was a year after Bobby Fischer, and that was a huge thing. But it, it seemed weird for me. To me, that a chess a chess star would be followed around by a gaggle of desperate reporters, <laughs> right, looking yes. for a scoop. You know, you know yeah. what it seemed like to me was um, I forget what it's called because I'm terrible with names. But there was a, a documentary about like Scrabble championships. Do you know what I'm talking about? Well, yeah, I've got a friend who actually um, gets to the Scrabble championships every <laughs> year. But please go on. So there, I, so there's this documentary about. Scrabble championships and the footage of the where they actually happen are in these kind of uh, second tier hotels in these big ballrooms and there is a circuit and there are people who you know, uh, word wars atten- word wars is that I, it possible because I know there's also like another said, one terrible about because there's also another one about uh, crossword people too that got pretty popular I think mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so it could be either yeah. one of those yeah. Maybe no. I'm pretty sure it's a Scrabble one. It doesn't really matter. My, my point is that's what it felt like to me watching this was like how actual kind of you know not mainstream popular competitive things are, but like very niche competitive things. Like there are a bunch of people and mm-hmm. people who care a lot about the thing, but it's not glamorous really. Right. It's kind of like second second rate. Not to insult your friend, but. <laughs> compared to what no, I'm sure, cool. you know, like the Bobby Fischer, you know, like like Media Circus uh, has a little more glitz to it, right? Especially back yeah. then, too. It seems like it was a bigger deal in like 60s and 70s. There was a lot of weird Cold War um, sort of identity placed mm. upon chess for some mm. odd reason, which it's I anything never that... understood. Anything well, as that he one says, nation okay. was good at, you know, the other nation wanted to to top them at. And chess was, you know, Russia's thing, right? And I think America was just so excited to have finally bred someone who could beat the Russians at their own game. Mm-hmm. Well, as he says in this episode, chess is the it's like the ultimate measure of of a man or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then uh, his opponent replies, "Like, no, no, that's women, right? Yeah, <laughs> right. Which that's cute. That's a good yeah. dude." But no, that's it's right because one night uh, is like uh, chess makes a hard man humble, isn't that it? <laughs> um, yeah. Jesus, John. Oh, I thought I thought when I signed the contract for this podcast, <laughs> I said no goddamn references to his musicals. 
I don't want that. No Andrew Lloyd Webber musical references. The That's entire run. Webber. The entire chess run. Like... Yes, it is. Isn't it? No, yes, it's, it is. I'm, chess is not an Andrew Lloyd Webber musical. It's the guy from uh, ABBA. Hold yes, on. It look no, it, up. it is. I'm looking at it right now. Andrew Lloyd Webber. Richard Nelson and Tim Rice. Mm-hmm. Sit down, RJ. I got Wikipedia. Hold on, hold on. Lyrics with Tim Rice, but he had something <laughs> music, to do with it. Music by to... Benny Anderson and Bjorn Olveus of ABBA with lyrics by Tim Rice. Well, then they are also cursed. <laughs> I mean, no ABBA references would be an okay blanket prohibition from my perspective, so... I read Philistines. I've got Philistines involved. Oh, see, uh, Tim Rice had wanted to do something in the 70s with Andrew Lloyd Webber about the Cuban Missile Crisis, but they mm-hmm. thought he ended up doing something with this. I just assumed it was a shitty high-concept musical, so it had to have been Andrew Lloyd Webber. <laughs> so it was either uh, <laughs> it was either uh, choo-choo trains, roller skating around a goddamn theater, <laughs> or his guys playing chess and uh, singing about chess so i figured like oh it's not a hard leap to make so yeah i think history will judge me well john i will i'll let you walk away with it but i think like just any musical you don't like being done by andrew lloyd webber is a fine fallback (laughs) actually i'm just doing that no that's probably what yeah yeah, that's it yeah music Uh, man andrew lloyd webber so there you go that's whatever Kitties. Anyway, it's midnight, and the kitties are sleeping uh, in a so, box by the furnace. Yeah, stop him if Sorry. you can. Stop him while you can. Oh, boy. Okay, so moving on. Uh, <laughs> I will say that my only my only chess, my only one night in Bangkok joke was just uh, one one night in Bangkok is a week in dog years. That's, that's my favorite joke. It's not much of a joke, but I love it. I hear that about Philadelphia a lot, but yeah. Really? Yeah. You just you, that you love it and you don't know why. Wait, wait, wait. What's the old? Uh, God, I forget whose line it is, but it, it was some uh, some old guy, some old actor in like the uh, 30s or 40s. Said, like, I spent a week in Philadelphia one Sunday. Yeah, that's which is right. there. You go. Yeah. Oh, so there's another question I so had about uh, procedure. Yeah. Uh, and that was: Do homicide detectives investigate attempted murders? Yeah, I was wondering about that too. That was interesting mm-hmm. throughout this. Yeah, yeah. I, was like, I did he was some just been waiting and waiting and waiting for of. him to die for it to kind be relevant. Of. Well, here's what I'm here's what I found out is that it does change, of course, from state to state and municipality to municipality. Mm-hmm. But uh, generally, no, unless the attempted murder was like really, really attempted. Oh, like in and in this case, I think it would be if there uh, because they, they homicide, still like catch the person, basically, like it's it's more of the case of it's clear that the victim is not going to make it or it's likely the victim's not going to make it. So you want to interview them while they're alive because it'll be a lot easier to solve their murder. I was going to say that. Yeah, that's kind of the case. <laughs> because also, yeah, this, this one, it, it's really strange because if you haven't seen it the first time, you think he got ground up in it. So when you're hearing mm-hmm. the fact that yeah. he survived, oh, there was just some surgery, and then you see him just in a hospital bed with a bandage on his head, you're kind of thinking, like, how did he come out of it with just that, with just some surgery? How was he not? So they kind of, th- there's a little bit of a cheat there with that, mm-hmm. where then you it's find out, like, out. yeah, it's a good yeah. fake out, but they stretch it pretty far, because you think, like, they do. wait, how is it just a simple bit of surgery when he might have gotten chewed up by medical, like huge metal gears, mm-hmm. his intestines, mm-hmm. but then he's fine. Then you find out, like, I don't know, he just slammed his head down on the doors and it shut after the thing shut off automatically. 
Which let's let's run to the uh, to my boy Jackson Gillis's mm-hmm. profound misunderstanding of how deafness works. <laughs> okay, please uh, do yes, <laughs> because yeah. um, that that thing is a <laughs> big loud machine and it's probably vibrating because right. that's oh, how right. sound works. Yes. Excellent yeah. point. Yeah, uh, right. yeah, yeah. There's there's no there's no way, however hearing impaired. We're supposed to believe our killer is that he wouldn't notice that. Oh, the floor isn't shaking anymore. Right. The next room over, mm. he's gonna, especially if he has been deaf for some time, <laughs> he's gonna know yeah. even the next room over that there's not just this rumbling under his feet and the door and the walls and everything else isn't just making this. Cause that's a huge, huge machine. Yeah, it is. He, he would know that it shut down. So counterpoint. Okay. Which okay. is simply that. Uh, so this is the 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 big like stake through the heart to to bring us our murderer right uh, at mm-hmm. the end that he's deaf therefore he can't tell that the machine went off when dudek went in but the first time he, he pushed him in he was pushing him through doors right and like he's mm-hmm. probably in a passionate fit of murdering this guy right and the second time he's yelling back and forth with columbo mm-hmm. and he's as distraught as we've seen him the whole time he could potentially just not be thinking about it at all right like yeah because I'll we've seen that. we've seen like a he just gets into these weird fits we, of rage yeah. So, yeah. yeah and we saw him get way off his game literally in the preceding huh. scene <laughs> yes. uh to the finale nice. where which i think is a great great scene it might be oh that would be one it, of the, it, it, of it's the such, episode. he's such a jerk in that you get that that's he's the thing where jerk. you i mean you get glimpses of that him being just complete and total arrogant asshole but that one is so perfect for him just being, just doesn't care, and he's being a jerk to all these people playing chess, to Columbo, and it's, yeah, needling him, mm-hmm. and yeah. That, that is very good for that. And I then, was actually uh, going to, oops, so sorry, please go. Oh, uh, <laughs> so Columbo gets him off his game to the point where he, he executes the worst move in chess, the whatever it's called, the fool's gambit or whatever, mm-hmm. like two move, like uh, a second move loss uh, to some random kid. I think it's uh, called the the murderers open. Ah, <laughs> yeah, that was the big problem. The, the try the try to kill your opponent uh, castle. Yeah, it's not smart. <laughs> if Columbo had known more about chess, he would have been like, "Aha! Of course uh-huh. you're the murderer. You use the murderers open." <laughs> right. Um. So he and that's when he flies off the handle and you know just starts yelling and demanding proof. Mm-hmm. That's that's good. I'll accept that, and I'm actually willing to let him off the hook now for the uh, cl- the housekeeping thing because I gave it some time to think. Mm-hmm. And if he is that good, his memory is supposed to be uncanny, right. so maybe he's memorized the schedule of the housekeeping. No, could yeah. have you know before just that, idle. Yeah. But with that being said, I'm going to throw I'm going to I'm going to take one away from him because if his memory is that good, why the fuck was he writing down those prescriptions? Actually, yeah, yeah, it's like That's good, but yeah. not that. Give, good. give one, give one. Give not for get, complicated. Get. Well, no, it, it's it's uh, for every regulation you enact, you rescind two. <laughs> to so two. that's what that is. Yes, <laughs> that's what that's about. He's a great photographic memory, except when he has to write things down that are complicated medicines. It's there very specific exception. It's his one weakness. Yes. Yeah. It's not like he could like uh, go to the hospital. People there. It's like, hey, do you have this? Uh, like again, it's like I I've never seen that in my life. I don't know what that is. You're a doctor. I don't know what that is. 
I've, I've we, don't have, seen, we don't have drugs. I've never here. seen glucose. I don't know what that you're talking about. I like to think the doctors too are like when they wheeled the, the guy in. They're like, "What's an IV? Those are just oh, we, we don't letter we IV don't treat together. sick people here." What is yeah. this? Uh, so to, the the thing is with this episode, and I, we'll, I guess we'll talk about it in the ratings a little more. I thought this had a lot of great scenes in it. Yes. Mm-hmm. which is why I'm not necessarily too bummed out by kind of the weaknesses of it. I just don't know that it was as an episode terribly strong. It's like a later, like a later years Elvis Costello album where there's always you know <laughs> some great, great songs on it, but it's not necessarily a great album, you know? Yeah. I think it, 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 it works the best if you care more about the, like the, the character and how he's moving through the scenes Mm-hmm. And it works, and it's weakest when you think about the logical progression of events. Well, how and how coincidences? Well, uh, okay. In that vein, how do you think uh, Columbo is in this, and how do you think how he's mm-hmm. portrayed in it, and moving through the case, and needling the uh, uh, the murderer well, and all that stuff? I think it's it's interesting because uh, our murderer here doesn't really give Columbo a lot of doesn't really. Pl- fall into most of his tricks right mm-hmm. he does a lot of kind of stonewalling and then just being like yes that is what happened but here is the lie embedded in what you already know um and there's not a lot of uh i don't know there's not as much of the back and there's not as much of the backpedaling and trying to explain himself right yeah and like the so, closest the closest of it is when uh colombo takes him to the french restaurant mm-hmm. and uh, is forced to admit this isn't a chance thing when the uh, when um Lawrence Harvey says like hey so when this cop told you earlier on that I've right. been here before like that's a fun scene that's a good scene that's a good like back and forth he, he's and kind of beating him at his own game a little bit with yeah, some of that stuff which right? is interesting yeah yeah it's good cuz not a lot of Columbo villains do it, that right right yeah, I was yeah. thinking a lot about whether they were intentionally trying to make this a very chessy episode, and of course they were. I think they had to. Have of been. course, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a great so were... premise. It's a really, really mm-hmm. good premise. Um, and that's kind of my one reason I like that that final multiple chess scene where Columbo's coming up and kind of giving him each of these pieces of evidence to write. Yeah, they're kind of putting right. literally moving across squares on the floor. Yeah, right. right. And, and they're literally freaking him out. Yeah, yeah, and. I was my takeaway of that is that it's it's very on the nose, right? Because it's like they're playing chess and they're also playing chess mm-hmm. with the the words, but it's the right kind of on the nose where it 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 all works together in that scene, um, and you see like the metaphor works with kind of the plot and and how they're mm-hmm. talking to each other. I mean, to me, it seems like it would have been it would have been a better end for the episode if it ended there. Oh, I don't know. I think if actually... it had been laid out there as opposed to like. Okay, he's trapping him there, but then go to the garbage room to trap him. Like it's, it would have been better almost in front of all those people. Like it seems to me, no, 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 no. They could have written. Oh, okay, sorry. What? No, what he's doing is he's making him chase the king. Mm. He's ch- he's he's making him like pursue him around the chessboard, and then gets him into a checkmate position. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, he oh. puts him into check at the end of that conversation. I've never it. had any interest in chess in my life, so I nope. was completely ignorant to that. I only know it through pop culture. I've literally never played chess. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, uh, in in 
fifth grade, I was in the chess club for a brief period. Okay. I'll tell you Nerd. Hey, I, I was I was in the <laughs> was uh, I was a member of the astronomy club at uh, Michigan State uh, University. I was in sixth grade, so at the mm. planetarium. So come on, that's not a big deal. Yeah. I was a cool loner. Um, <laughs> they are wearing their leather jackets, leather jacket, smoking their cigarettes out there by the reservoir. Yeah, I had a three-pack a day habit back in uh, fifth grade. Oh, my mm-hmm. God. That's way cooler. I'll give you that. <laughs> Much cooler. I had a little motorcycle. Yeah. <laughs> a little motorcycle. Uh, but I, apparently a lot of the <laughs> references that they make are real chess references. Hmm. My understanding from a, a little bit of Googling on this oh, one. Oh, like, like in my intro, like in my summary. Yes, <laughs> very episode, much. Yes, very yes. much like that. Uh, like they when he talks about the guy who like won 125 or played 120 simultaneous games, like that was mm-hmm. that's a real factoid. Um, wow. So there's a lot of little hint, little uh, fan service for chess nerds in this one. That's the thing I like about a lot of Columbos, where they they kind of turn it into a little bit of a lesson on things. We yeah. just covered Last Salute to the Commodore, which was a mixed blessing of an episode. But mm. one of the nice, thing, oh, one yeah. of the neat things about it, you learn so is, much about nautical terms and how yeah, mission boom and everything. Yeah, mission boom. But they do that every now and again, and it's it's kind of a '70s TV show thing where it's like simultane they're they're teaching the audience what the audience needs to know to appreciate how much research went well, into the episode. They, they did it in the 90s once too like uh, sex and marriage detective i learned how to please a woman so that was mm. great <laughs> that, that was invaluable to me now you mutter and have an overcoat on that's and... right <laughs> yes. wait that's not how you're supposed to do it i never realized that uh, i didn't Colum- know I... until i saw that episode i didn't know i didn't think about, about how much colombo looks like a sex pest but yeah <laughs> If you saw that guy on the train in Philly, you'd just be like, call the cops. Mm, that's true. That's the mayor. Anyway, yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> what? No, our mayor's a fine man. I totally so uh, there's a couple that. things that Columbo says and does in this episode that seem, um, let's say, uncommonly mean for Columbo, even though they're not like overtly cruel. Oh, what? Offering well, one ice of the cream? things... He really takes it... Uh, was that? Yeah, no, that's right. Offering yeah, ice cream? Yeah. I was actually confused with the episode we're doing after this one, which also has an ice cream reference. Anyway. Oh, it does? Oh, I got to write it. It does. Down. He gets dog ice cream. Anyway. Oh, right. Back, yes. Back oh, it's one. that wonderful classic thing. Sorry. Yes. But, but he really he takes advantage of the vet to a degree that I, I'm not oh, familiar with. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, I'm just going to leave my dog with you for this whole weekend. <laughs> it's not a boarding place. It's a veterinary yeah, no, the, office, yeah. The vet literally telling him, like, yeah, I have I have things to do. I've got a family. And well, Columbo's like, hold on to my dog, and then takes off. But that's also kind of cruel to the audience, because there's another huge fake-out later on, mm-hmm. where Columbo gets the call. He's like, mm. what? What's going on? Oh, he's sick? Oh, whatever. And so you think that it's about uh, Dudek dying or something, yeah. or he's taking a turn, and uh, no, it's about his dog. And they stretch mm. that out a lot. But, uh, I like sorry. that one though. That was a good. That was a good bit. What was the yeah, other actually, cruel thing? I, I like the fake outs in this episode because I think without them, actually, it would be a little. There's not quite enough. Yeah. Uh, oh, good really point. Going yeah. on. Yeah. But there's also uh, early on before. I think this is before he suspects uh, the the murderer. Um, which I've got. I do have a note here on that. I wanted to compare that with you guys. But he makes some joke about. He's got a nephew who wears thick thick glasses oh, yes. and thinks you're I the greatest. Down, yes, that's a really cruel thing to say. Like, uh, I got a nephew who's a horrible nerd, but he thinks you're great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. usually it's when like, he says things like that to um, 
uh, murder suspects. It's usually very complimentary, trying, it's very ingratiating, trying to mm-hmm. get in good with him. But that one was, eh, that was a bit of a sideways thing that he was. He uh, does have that. another. Yeah. He has another bit where he does compliment him, and I, I have some notes about that about if he me- if he means it. Mm-hmm. And I, can't, I didn't write down what he's so complimenting. Is this? But there's, oh, please go. In the, in the you were talking about the ice cream. I think is in that sequence. Um, I don't know if you're referring to something else, but in that sequence, he like he's like, let's get ice cream, and then uh, our uh, uh, Clayton says no. He's like, okay, well, how about let's do this other thing? He's like, no, I'm just going to go back to the hotel. Oh, I'll drive you back to the hotel. So he's like kind of shutting him down at every mm-hmm. each of his little gambits to like take him over to the restaurant, which is where he actually wants to take him actually but then yeah. when he finally starts telling him like oh you're such a smart guy like i have some questions about this case i can't figure it out and you're so smart maybe you can help me and that's when he gets into the car there's a moment when he compliments him and he says i really mean it and he does it in this i think it's mm-hmm. later in the episode when they're really sparring and I was I was just wondering, like, do you think Columbo, because he says that a lot, he'll spar with somebody and he'll compliment them while he's tackling at them. Uh-huh. And I'm wondering, actually, does, is he, does he ever really mean it or is he negging them? I don't know. I think it yeah. depends on yeah. who it is. I'm not sure. I think in this case, it's more of a statement of fact and less of a compliment. Oh, yeah. good. Yes. You know, like, because yes. sometimes Columbo, like, you can kind of see him having some kind of sympathy for, uh-huh. like, not because he's like obviously they're a murderer, but he, he likes murders. <laughs> it's it's his favorite thing. What else, what else would he have to get up for in the morning if there were murders in the world? Right. I go to work, honey. I love murders. <laughs> uh, but uh, <clears throat> I think sometimes he does form some kind of bond with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think in this case he does not. Like this is not a likable like, guy. No. I, th- I think you're right though. I think you're right though in that he recognized the guy is very intelligent. Doesn't mm-hmm. like him, but I think you might be. I think you're right in that he just is maybe being sincere. Like, well, you're a smart guy. You're a horrible, murdering dick, but you're a very smart guy, and he recognizes that. Yeah, it's a good tactic because then every other compliment he ever gives, if he doesn't follow it up with "I really mean that," <laughs> is going to leave that guy guessing. Like, well, does he really mean that one? And that right. that's a good little emotional tool. Yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. He's a master of psychology, or Columbo. <laughs> oh, it does. Yes. Um, oh, there's a quote in here that I that moved too quickly for me to catch. I was hoping it was going to be the title of the episode. What? I, the one I think. I don't often say what I think the title of the episode is going to be mm-hmm. on the show, but I'm pretty sure I know which one this is. Uh, do you, should I say it or no? You say it, and we'll see if it's the one I got. Uh, we ain't winning. Oh, uh, I wrote that down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think that's, that, that's going to be it. Because that's just a sad, horrible thing so sad. to hear in a goddamn hospital. We ain't winning. We I think that's winning. that's going to be the... Uh, yeah. That is scratch, and, scratch, scratch. Those are and like, is this uh, the, yeah. the only time that Columbo is actually pres- present yes, when I think it someone might be. dies? Yeah, I think it might be. in the room. Yes, I can't remember that ever happening. Another episode where Columbo actually... Is there for the result of the murder, mm. which yeah, is sadder so. somehow. It might be the only I mean, time it's ever happened. Yeah, the closest I can think of is Stitch in Crime, but yeah, that, no, that was he, quite. That was the opposite, really. Right? Yeah, he kind of prevented mm-hmm. the second one, and he, yeah, he's. I don't think he's ever been present 
for someone actually dying as the result of... Yeah. So it's weird that in this one, he doesn't get nearly as angry as he does in some of the other ones. Because he actually witnessed the person yeah, dying. Weird. He's actually well, been in the room. So it's kind of interesting. Why wouldn't he be even angrier at this guy? Well, he's he's kind of already on the case, right? Like, the guy dying isn't really doesn't really change what he's doing right, other than sure. make it necessary because now an actual murder has happened as opposed to an attempted murder. Mm-hmm. But it's a little weird because he does seem and in that scene like he's more concerned. Uh, he doesn't seem very concerned that the guy dies. Yeah, right? it's weird. It's a little it's callous. Given, yeah. given that how the character has been played uh, before that and since that. And also in this one, um, in the course of the investigation, uh, Dog almost gets smashed up a little bit too. So you think he'd be more upset about that. He he runs to save the dog. Yeah, no, yeah. You gotta run, because Dog knows those stairs. He is up those things. I know. Some burst of energy. I know. They put some some great snossages on top of those stairs. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) That dog. do that. For our low slung model. (laughs) (laughs) he was smelling the garlic that was wiped Mm -hmm. off inside that machine and just like yes yeah oh dear dear. so there's there's only one last thing i wanted to mention before we got there and it was just that there was a really perry mason type line in this oh what uh right in the end when um there when columbo's confronting uh our killer and uh he mistakenly says uh something about copying uh, I believe it was the, um, I believe it was the prescription list, but he mentions copying and Columbo says, I didn't say you copied it. And that's like the get, that's oh. the, you use the word that shows me you're familiar with the thing I hinted at. Oh, that's a super Perry that. Mason kind of ending. They don't do that on Columbo a lot. Yeah. I didn't catch that. Oh, mm. interesting. Okay. Which is, it's a fine thing. There's nothing wrong with it. I just thought it was a little out of the usual expectations for a Columbo. Because I, I actually I um, was trying to also figure out like when it was exactly that he suspected him. Mm. And oh yeah, I, I got think, a note on that. I think it was when pretty darn early when Lawrence Harvey mm-hmm. actually comes to the guy's hotel room, mm-hmm. um, assuming he was dead. It seems like it's pretty yeah. early on. Right? I think that's when that... he suspects him, when he assumed that he was dead. That's when the audience <clears throat> learns that he's not dead, that he's just right. injured. Right. I think that's the moment he knows, that, you know, the Columbo's on the case. Mm-hmm. Um, I have it written down here. It's it's when Harvey says, "Poor tor- that poor tortured man. Mm. And that's, it kind of turns he... away a little bit, and it's like yep. a weird... His facial expressions in this episode are great. Yes, like, they are. Mm-hmm. Sweaty they are, and great, yes. They're sweaty and and very communicative of, you know, his mental state and when he's lying and when he's not. It's such a, he plays kind of a really rabbity, but he's so, like, lean and haggard that it doesn't come off as, you know, Colin Hanks rabbity. It's not like he's about to <laughs> Oh, dear. Yeah, oh, Colin Hanks plays it a little rabbity, you know what I, I mean? Um, yeah, he, right no, he there. looks like he looks like he looks like a uh, a really cooped up greyhound for most of it. Like any second, he is about to bolt, <laughs> but you you don't know when that's going to be, and you kind of know you're not going to catch him when it happens. So okay, yeah, and he has that's these weird 
periods of of seeing seeming like he has it all together, but those are always when he's in front of an audience. Right. Yes. yes. It can be a and huge then, arrogant jerk in front of an audience, which I guess that was kind of Bobby Fischer's deal too. So Exactly, yeah. Yeah. But he's super neurotic <laughs> at all other times. Ballesta conspiracy theory ish. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Um, so Heidi, uh, I want to talk about the uh, speaking of the accents. I got it written down here. Uh, Heidi Brule, uh, who played uh, the ex-fiance of Lawrence Harvey's character, and the one who uh, orchestrated this match, putting it together, her accent was always strange. At first, I thought, oh, she's just doing this terrible European accent, but then I found out she was actually from Germany. Mm. So she somehow managed to do a really bad American imitating a European accent, which I'm not sure how you do that, but she did a good job of it. So that's so is that you shooting the moon accent-wise? Like... Yeah, might be. Might be, yeah. yeah. I thought it was strange. That, uh, I don't know if you guys noticed that or not. It was a peculiar... I, th- I thought it was thing. a little weird, but I didn't really... She doesn't talk... Other than that one scene where she's explaining about how he did see her list for a minute, we don't really... She's not really in the episode too much. No, it's not... For it's someone not who strong... has so much... Emotional weight for yeah. our murderer. Yeah, even though like it was supposedly this lost love of his. I guess that's one of the things. I feel like there's a lot of places where this script could really have been tuned up a little bit without really losing anything. Like if we'd had a scene with just the two of them, like oh. some kind of confrontation that explained why he was so bitter yeah. or something. Like early on, and I don't know, maybe a couple, couple other little things. No, you're right. That actually uh, would have helped quite a bit if you had a better explanation of that relationship. Because otherwise, you didn't need to have that relationship be that relationship. That she yeah. just could have been some sort of attaché or someone who worked with them organizing this. It didn't need to have. There was no reason to mention that past. Yeah, which was kind of the excuse to get to get Dudek hmm. to write the note. I guess is why it's, it's there. Uh, at that's all, the only reason. Yeah, yeah, right, right. But since it's there at all, I think it could have. It's it's kind of a missed opportunity, maybe to add more. Well, wait, he's not. Wait, I thought Dudek wasn't even. He wasn't having Dudek even write the note to her. It was just some woman that he had met. Yeah, it was some, supposed to be some woman right. from so it wasn't from even, Russia. It wasn't even to that specific. Oh, I thought that was her. No, it wasn't even to her. It was. To I thought so else. too on the first on the first viewing. I thought right, so too. It wasn't. It wasn't, it wasn't really played right. Huh. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't even to her. So. She could have been completely unrelated to Lawrence Harvey's character, and that would have been fine. Yeah. Right. Well, come on, Jackson Gillis. <laughs> next what time, we'll get it next That's time. right. We need to do the remake. Yeah, luckily he only wrote about 400 episodes, so he right. probably had a chance to make it up. <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. definitely. All right, so uh, let's, let's kind of start uh, wrapping things up here um, with our little ratings, final thoughts. What's up, Nathan? You like mm-hmm. this episode? Uh, what are some of the high points that make this one of your favorites? Yeah, so I think the um, Lawrence Harvey's character here is so memorable to me. I think he's he plays that character really well. Um, and watching the kind of neurotic break of this chess genius is <laughs> fun. Uh, you know, as a viewer, I wouldn't want to live that life, but I don't mind watching him do it. Um, I like that. Uh all the little clues kind of all work together. Like the, um, it's a nice pace of revelation of like the little clues leading up to the big, you know, you, you only a deaf person couldn't hear the trash compactor, which is a little problematic as you pointed Mm -hmm. out, but 
uh, the pace of how all the little clues get revealed um, is it has a nice rhythm to it and kind of builds builds the case. And I like that. And I just like how they use the metaphor of the chess in the story in a really effective way as opposed to a lame way, which it really probably could have been. Oh, yeah. I, I like like the uh, musical chess, perhaps. <laughs> for, for example, yeah, as previously. As written by Andrew Lloyd Webber, yeah. So I don't... <laughs> I, I wouldn't try to claim that this is the best written episode, um, but uh, between the nostalgia factor of having seen it a million times <laughs> and um, those other elements, I think, are why I, I like it and am willing to watch it, you know, more more and more as I want to watch more Columbo. There you go. Yay. Um, I thought it was okay. I mean, I think it's the performances more than anything else. Uh, that helped this one. I think Lawrence Harvey is really good at playing the uh, sweaty, nervous uh, jerk throughout the whole thing. I love the fact that when he's confronted by Dudek, um, it just seems like he's completely wrecked by the fact that he's just this avuncular, happy yeah. guy. I love that aspect of that. Where he just he can't really work with this opponent being just a nice dude. Pretty much. Like, yeah, <laughs> chess. Some of psychological warfare. <laughs> chess, <laughs> whatever. Yeah, yeah, chess. It's a, it's a game. Who cares? Fine, I'm going to eat my snails. It's great. I, yeah. I, I liked that aspect of their relationship before he decided he had to crush him in a garbage disposal. Um, <laughs> I thought that was interesting. I think there's some really good Columbo stuff in this. I think there's, yeah, the great investigative uh, work. Of, there's a lot of dog in this, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, I kind of feel like, eh, it's all right. It's like a, it's an okay one. It's a go okay, solid one. It's not one of my favorites, mm. but it's uh, it's all right. Is how I feel about it. It's, uh, fair to Midland would be how they they put it out in the uh, flyover states. John, that's that's how they <laughs> so put it in the flyover. Yeah, of course state. they do. Sure. I'm from a flyover state, so I know. Yeah, we're talking I'm from, to a I'm guest from, Michigan. from a flyover state. I, I'm from Michigan, so of course I know all about fair to Midland. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> what is what is the fare to middle in these days? About three fifty, four bucks? Oh yeah, no, uh, maybe hmm. uh, six bits. I don't know. Oh, just six bits. Six bits. That's, a, six bits and a bead. That's three shaves and a haircut, man. I know. There you go. <laughs> Inflation, it's a killer. Oh yeah, yeah. no, it, it'll get you, and it's just going to get worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, who knows what's going to happen <laughs> in this brave new world, John? Yes, sir. Oh, what's going on, John? How? What are your feelings, and how would you rate this episode? Rate this episode? I don't see you guys rating the kind of mate I'm contemplating. No? <laughs> what? You really hate One Night in Bangkok that much? Oh, anyway. <laughs> I love that I song. Only, that I only get my kicks above, above the, waistline, the waistline, sunshine. sunshine. Oh, it's a good bit. Oy. I like the song. Oy. It's a bad musical, but I like the song. Anyway... <laughs> uh, yeah, I think this was like this was a great vignette episode of Columbo. That there's a lot of things that are wonderful. One of the things we didn't talk about was how expertly he keeps Lawrence Harvey from getting on the elevator mm-hmm. until the doors are almost closed. Oh, right. Yes, that's a good. Scene. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. And the, that's a good just one. the expression on Harvey's face, and it's very much an expression of I was outmaneuvered, yeah. and he takes it very seriously. Uh, so there's a lot of great vignettes. The it's not shot very cinematically, which I think always no. benefits a Columbo. It feels very much like a TV episode, which is kind of weird given the intro. 
Right. Right. Yeah. You get all this weird experimental doubt. stuff. Right. For about yeah. So the seconds. rest. And now we're done with that. Yeah. yeah. And just kind of pedestrian TV. Shooting. Which maybe that's why it was done to really bring even more of a contrast between the two. But I, it's mm-hmm. still. Eh. And there's a, you know, I've talked before about the things I look for that I think make a really great Columbo episode. And one of them is I like to see the killer's relationship with Columbo really evolve uh, over the course of the episode. And this doesn't. There's some great back and forth, but he's very much the same character at the beginning of the show as he is at the end. Uh, and, you know, he's almost <laughs> too good at at knowing what Columbo's trying to do. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, and it's it's wonderful to watch this have this kind of chess metaphor. Uh, but I think also it, it suffers that problem that sometimes in chess, and again, my knowledge is entirely pop culture generated, but in chess you will sacrifice uh, important pieces for a, for a larger, for a, a more important move. Mm-hmm. And I kind of feel if we're going to really pull the chess metaphor on this, that's what happened in this episode a lot, is that they had to sacrifice some scenes or some elements of the plot so that they could have the bigger image. Mm-hmm. So you couldn't really have that confrontation uh, in the in the room where he's playing twelve games of chess if you hadn't had the kind of why did he even write the why didn't the hospital have medication? You had to throw that away in mm-hmm. order to have that better scene. So it's interesting to watch. I think it's it's got a lot of great scenes. Like uh, you know my really unfair Elvis Costello comparison. I'm going to stick with that. It's got a lot of good songs, but it's not a great album. So I'm still going to give it about a six. Uh, so, sorry, it's going to be a six uh, Officer Krupke opening gambits out of a possible <laughs> ten. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, thank you, Nathan, for doing this. Uh, if you could please uh, refresh your listener's memory. Uh, one, where they can find your experimental um, kind of beta Columbo game. And then also where they can find your Rockford Files podcast. Yeah, so all my game design stuff is at ndpdesign.com, and on the playtest page you'll find a link to One More Thing, which uh, can be played with two players or two groups of players if you oh. wanted to have more than one. You could have a detective side and a, and a murderer side, just throwing that out there. And if you want to listen to me and uh, fellow game designer and Rockford Files nerd Epidiah Ravishall, talk about the Rockford Files, uh, 200aday.fireside.fm is the website for that. Um, and we do a little more fine-grained uh, uh, summary analysis kind of style where we then take the take what we like about the episode of the Rockford Files and what narrative elements um, you can use in your own games and stories if you oh. are a game or story nice. person. Wow. So it's an it's a hour-and-a-half show that releases a little less often um, that's our, our thing. Nice. So, and, and, and yeah, check and, it out. and, uh, the, uh, Columbo game, uh, well, also we'll keep people updated too. If it kind of progress, when you, yeah, yeah, I'll let when you, you like develop it a bit more and it gets like mm-hmm. into some sort of like a more final stage, we'll let people know about it too, for sure. Thank you for doing this. Yeah. yeah awesome. My, uh, my D and D group meets tomorrow and I'm going to see if I can get some folks on early and we'll run like a quick play test just for the oh, hell of it. Great. Oh, yeah, wow. I'm making like... chili tomorrow. Hmm. Well, let's see if you can get the chili to play with you. Yeah, sure. <laughs> the chili would be a great detective, Columbo. <laughs> oh, it would be. Oh, actually, it would, wouldn't it? Why didn't you? Why didn't you make food? So right. Why aren't you making chili like thematically while you record this episode? Yeah. 
I don't know. I oh, would, man. I would burn if you myself. want to hear me talk about Jim Rockford and tacos, you definitely want to listen to uh, 200 a day because that's so, my, man, we got, my we other got like, obsession. We got some kind of like a 70s detective show cookbook. Oh, let's start, let's start a Kickstarter. <laughs> I'm in. Uh, Chilies and I, tacos and uh, d- homemade suckers. Lollipops? Perhaps another time I can tell you guys about my unified theory of TV detectives and food. Oh, my God. The, That's a whole other why show. Why you open with that next time? <laughs> <laughs> I need to leave you wanting more. What, well, no, I think... I get you guys to have me back on. I, well, no, yes. No, I think, that, I think that is definitely going to happen. So, yes, for sure. We can talk about it next time. For certain. Awesome. All right. Well, that's the show for this time around. Uh, if you want to uh, listen to other episodes of Just One More Thing, you can go to jomtpodcast.com or look for us on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Google Podcast, just search for the title of the show and we will pop up there. Uh, if you want to uh, see John's screen grabs he gets for every single episode and further thoughts, you can go to jmtpodcast.tumblr.com. And we love to interact with people on the world wide web and social media. Uh, to do that, you go to JMT Podcast on Twitter. Uh, we post uh, information about new episodes, about the uh, promos we put each time. And also, we like uh, when you folks post things. We'll retweet it. Retweet it, for crying out loud. That's a thing uh, we have to say in this day and age. Retweet. <sighs> uh, if you want to write to us, uh, we like getting email sure from do. folks. And we, yeah, we've gotten some good stuff lately. Uh, that's Columbo at thecitydesk.net. Uh, let's show for this time around. We'll see you next time talking about a 90s one because we all have to pay the penance for doing 70s episodes. <laughs> I'm R.J. White. I'm John Morris. And we'll talk to you later. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Oh, listen, just one more thing. Mr. Clayton, your pen. I left it on a the seat there. Oh. Thank you. Just that little running. Boy, I'm a lousy shape. Listen, uh, would you like to get some ice cream? What do you say you and I go and get some ice cream and get our minds off this whole thing just for a minute? What do you say? If you're able to do that, Lieutenant, you're a better man than I.